welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Thank you so much for having me. This is, this is my favourite environment. If someone was to say to me, what's your favourite environment? Outside of my... I love being in my church. I love being part of Edge Church and... Uh, uh, one of my roles is to take care of our city campus and uh, the senior leader of our church, Pastor Danny, sends his love to you all. Um, I, I take care of our city campus. I'm involved right across uh, all of our vision. And so uh, tonight I don't want to speak at you or speak to you, but I want to speak with you if that's okay, because I sit where you sit. Um, every, every paid staff member needs to be a volunteer. Uh, I'm, I'm a volunteer. I'm not paid for this time and, I, and I'm thankful that I get to part of this. This is not a chore for me. This is a joy for me uh, to be here with you. And, uh, and I want to speak to you. I love speaking to teams. I love speaking to volunteers. If someone's to say to me, your favorite environment to speak, it would be to speak to teams and to volunteers because there's an, there's an amen already in your heart to be a part of a great vision. So I don't feel like I need to build it up, but, but I do want to say thank you to uh, Tony and Kath for opening this opportunity up to me as, a, as a, uh, an under-shepherd, as a person who's shepherding on someone else's behalf, I know what it's like to open your pulpit up to someone else and to trust someone else with your people because uh, this is not a job for us. This is a calling for us. And we're called to lay down our life for the sheep God has called us to take care of. And, uh, and I understand that Tony and Kath are laying down their life and the team laying down their life for you as their sheep. And so I don't take this privilege lightly at all. Uh, but I do have a burning word in my heart that I want to share with you that I pray will be an encouragement to you because this is the reason why I do what I do. What you're about to share, uh, what I'm about to share and what you're about to hear would be one of my core messages. I mean, I, I love what I'm seeing here tonight. I'm learning. I've already taken away. I've, I've got a couple of the guys with me. Paul Hunter, who's a great man of God. He's just recently joined our team. He's our chief of staff at our city campus. Gave up a job as the national sales manager of Origin Energy Solar and took a massive pay cut to come on staff and does it with a smile on his face, does it with joy because he's passionate. And Stefano Tocci, um, a very Australian name, by the way, he, uh, we've got to have some Italians on our team outside of me and Danny. Come on, we need some Italians around. And so Steph has just uh, recently, over the last year, joined our team as our youth and young adults pastor. has got an incredible future. And I, I wanted them to come with me because I wanted them to see what I see when I come here. I, I've come for the last two, uh, sorry, two men's breakfasts with Pastor Danny uh, that we've had lots of fun and, and came with him and I came with him I think he did a Sunday night here and uh, came with him and, and uh, he didn't ask me to come I wanted to come because I love seeing what's happening in our city I, I love talking to Tony and, uh, and hearing that, that, that they're here for life that they, they're saying this is our city this is where God has planted us and, and that's why I feel I've got a long term future because I was born here uh, in Adelaide although I'm from Italian origin so if you want to amen or you want to say something back it doesn't really make a difference I'll keep talking over the top of you anyway because that's what Italians do they talk I need hands-free because if I had a microphone you'd get half a message but with my hands free it's all on yeah, we have some fun so I love your pastors you know what this church I, I wrote this Tony I didn't know you were going to show that but I wrote this in my notes I'm going to read I wouldn't normally just read straight from my notes but I want you to hear what I've written in my notes this church has an exciting future and a great facility yet God has still more for this house 
to see the celebration of what was achievable in three years. When you look back, you realise the amount of people, the amount of effort, the amount of time that goes into this. And yet God still has more for this house. This is not the resting place. This is not the ending place. As a matter of fact, till the day we die, I want to be the kind of person that on my deathbed, I've still got a job to do. I've still got something. I'm going to have to hand something on to someone else. Because God said, Jesus said in Matthew 16, he would build his church. It's not, it's, it's not a deep revelation to know that something that's being built continues to grow. It continues to move forward. It continues to enlarge. He's not in the demolition business. He's in the construction business. He's about building his church. And so we need strong churches. We need strong churches in our city. The city of Adelaide is winnable. It's not just for us to read in scripture about cities like Nineveh. It's not just for us to read in scriptures about the great revivals and the things that happen. It's not just for us to read in books that people write about the Smiths, Wigglesworths, and we've got to honour the great men that have gone before us. But we are actually called to continue to write those stories. And it's time that we break the mindset over Adelaide of smallness, of nothingness. There's 1.3 million people in our city. Until all of them are reached, we've still got work to do. We've still got people to reach. There's people in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. Because when I think of my family and my relatives that don't know God, I think I still want someone to open their doors. I still want someone to serve. I still want someone to set up lighting in a car park. Thank God for men of God that serve behind the scenes and don't just see it as setting up lights, but they see it as building the house of God. Thank God for people that are prepared to give their time and serve in a house because they want to enlarge the house. So uh, just in case you thought I wasn't going to use the scripture, turn in your Bibles with me. The second Kings chapter six, but I'm very excited to share. I've realized I've, I've been in full-time ministry for only nine years. Before that, I was a floor-covering salesman. It was a natural progression. <laughs> Very natural. You want to get into full-time ministry, go start selling some carpets. When Pastor Danny asked me to, to, to join his pastoral team, I, I, I nearly fell off my chair and said the stupidest thing. You do on the spot when you ask something like that. Uh, I said, oh, come on, Pastor Danny. I take those things very seriously. Please don't joke around. Like he wasn't taking it seriously. I didn't. I never thought I'd. I never thought I'd ever ever be a pastor or, or preach or teach the word of God. That's why I do this with such joy. This is such a privilege to be a part of a church. I would. I. I, I want to never lose my volunteer spirit. I never want to lose the fact that hey, I would do this for no money if I could feed my family with no money. I. I love this. We get to be a part of the Creator of heaven and earth's plan for the earth He created. His plan was to work through you and me. I. I can't get my head around the one that speaks into nothingness and make something. And he says, I want you to build what I want to build on the earth. I don't want to do it by myself because he could. He could do it without us. He could, but he chooses to work through us. And sometimes we think we're doing God a favor, but God has given us the privilege to be a part of his supernatural plan. And you know what? It's always going to be bigger than you. And it's always going to be bigger than me. The, the moment you arrive at a place where you start saying, oh, I can do this, I can nail this, you're in the wrong place. The moment you feel like I've achieved and I've arrived, you're in the wrong place. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little bit like Tony, actually. I've realized, I've walked around this building. Tony has some serious disorders. <laughs> Everything has to be straight, clean, perfect lines. Is that right, Kath? Is that what he's like at home? We need to pray for Kath every day. <laughs> and for my wife, because I'm exactly the same. I went into the men's toilets. And someone had gone in there to wash their hands and they took the soap dispenser off the, off the bench, off the 
off the sink and put it on the bed. I was, I was disgusted. I said, how dare you disrespect Tony? If he comes in here, he'll have a heart attack. So I, t- I couldn't help myself. I turned around. I had to put it back on the sink. I had to. But you know what? God's always enlarging us, always taking us to a place. I, I've written this down. All through history, God takes people to a place they can't go with resources they don't have and uses people who can't do it. And it's all to keep us in a place of faith and total dependence upon God. It's always beyond us. I even look at what, what we as a church are doing right now and it's always beyond us. Then you, then you kind of scratch your head and say, how did we actually do that? How did we put, when you think about going back to the property that was here, to the property that is here, and you think, how did we actually do that? You know, we do that, we do it with the people who own a vision, a people that embrace a vision, a people that have a yes culture and an amen culture. I'm not talking about being yes men or yes women. I'm talking about having a yes in your heart, that if that's what God wants, if he wants to feed 5,000 and we only got five loaves and two fish, I want to be the kind of person that says yes. No idea how we're going to do it, but yes. I don't want to be one who stood on the sidelines and said, gee, I wish I was part of that miracle. Gee, I wish I didn't just say, oh, how am I going to send these people away? Hey, look, it's enough. It's enough what we have. We have a large enough church. The city already knows about Victory Church and we've reached enough people. It's enough. But Jesus is looking out to a community and saying, I want you to feed them. Let me say, I don't disrespect government. I think we should honour our government. We should honour police. We should honour community leaders. The scriptures tell us to do that. But Jesus didn't say he was going to build his government. He said he was going to build his church. And he's looking to his church to find the answers for this part of our city and right across our city. So I'm, in, I, I'm excited. Second Kings chapter 6. I'm getting there. Trust me, stay there. In Hebrews 11.6, God declares something to be impossible. Our God declares something to be impossible. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means we're always going to be in a place of faith. I love the excitement in this place. I have learned, I, I, seriously, I've learned so much. I loved being cheered into the building. Not for my ego. I want to do that for my volunteers. I love that idea. I love having the kids up here and the clowns. I reckon Steph would look amazing in a clown suit. I think you'd be awesome in a clown suit. Second Kings chapter 6. Let me read the scripture to you. Verse 1. One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, that's so important. This place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried out, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall? The man of God asked. And when he showed in the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. Many of you have been in church for many years, would have heard that scripture, maybe shared and preached from for many times. And I just want to draw some thoughts from this. And because I'm an under-shepherd, because I follow my senior leader, Pastor Danny, all of my points have to start with the same letter because that's what my pastor does. And so all of them are going to start with the letter R. Is that okay? I just want to give you some thoughts out of this passage of scripture about what a great team looks like. I, I was in Darwin just recently training some pastors up there on, on some of the things that we do as a church and some of the scriptures we've learned from and the things that uh, mistakes we've made that they don't need to make again. And uh, just sharing uh, with the churches. And I was referring to the team I said, you know, my team back in Adelaide, sometimes, and I said to them, I said, sometimes you might think that when I say my team, you're thinking about my front row. 
You're thinking about the staff members I have? I said, you got it wrong. My team is everybody sitting in my auditorium. Because Jesus didn't say, I'm going to employ some people and they're going to be my servants. And the rest of you, well, you can just sit back and do nothing and ride the wave. It's actually all of us in this as a team. Yes, Tony and Kath are the senior leaders of this house, and I'll be talking about that in a moment, that God sovereignly chooses someone to lead right through Scripture. Whether you like that or not, that's the way it is. And understanding that when someone leads, it doesn't give them greater rights, it gives them greater responsibility. Be thankful if you're not called to be a senior leader, be thankful that you're not. I'm not the senior leader of our vision, my senior pastor is the senior leader of our vision, and I'm an undershepherd, and I thank God that I'm not the senior leader. You know why? Because I'm not called to be the senior leader right now. He's called to be the senior leader. And whoever God has in the future, that's God's call. But we've got to be under shepherds. And in the first, the first thing I want to share with you this is when the school of the prophets came to Elisha, they said, as you can see. They realized, number one, they realized that Elisha could see. So many people in churches come with creative ideas and thoughts and we need creativity and we need ideas and thoughts. But we've got to see what our senior leader sees. As you can see. They didn't come, they didn't come like this. They didn't come and say, well, Elisha, what you're unaware of is. Elisha, you're kind of not on the ground with me. And so what you don't know what happens in our kids' ministry is. Elisha, you're not on the ground with me. So you don't know what it's like in our building team. Elisha, you don't know what it's like on our presentation team. You don't know what it's like on our hospitality team. You don't know what it's like working behind the, the coffee the coffee machine, especially when you like your coffee a certain way. You don't know what it's like. And they didn't come with that. What they said is they said, Elisha, we can see what you see. We actually see that this place where we meet is too small. They started to catch the very same vision that Elisha had. And they said to him, as you can see, ought to be the kind of church to be the kind of church where it's not the senior leader getting up here and driving the vision forward, but the people saying, no, 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 Tony, Kath, as you see, the place where we meet with you is too small. We need to expand this thing. We need to enlarge. We need to keep forging ahead. There's still people to be reached in the northern sides. We hear what's in your heart. We see what's in your life. We see what you see. And we want to have the as you see. We want to see what you see. You know how you learn to see what they see? Listen to what they say. Listen to their burden. I listen for statements like this from my senior pastor. What I'd love to do is, and I write that down. What I'd love to see happen is, what breaks my heart is, what I'm passionate about is, and they're the times when I'm writing frantically in my notebook because I'm saying that's obviously what he sees. And I actually believe that we serve a spiritual God. I know that's a really, really simple statement, but it's a spiritual God who has a spiritual plan. It talks right through scriptures that God brings people together and supernaturally build his house. Jesus is the chief cornerstone and each one of us as living stones being placed upon that. Now you can look at that in the context of a local church. And that's true because I actually believe that each one of you are living stones that weren't born just by chance in this season, in this era, in this house. But I actually believe you were born at this time in this place for your generation right now and brought here supernaturally by God's perfect design. You might say, but I just landed here by accident. There are no accidents in God. We have a God of design. Right from the outset, he had a perfect design and he chose you to be with you, to be with you so that he could build this house. And on top of that, the reason I celebrate Victory Church is because it's my church. Because we're just another stone that sits alongside you as a stone. And Jesus said, I will build my church. He spoke in the singular. He didn't say, I will build many churches. He said, I will build my church. And each one, each stone has its own shape, achieves its own thing, its own purpose. But each one of us, that's why we've got to celebrate one another. 
That's why I came out with my senior leader to see what was happening here. Because I want to champion what's happening in our city. So when people talk to me about the northern suburbs, I got this church in mind. I don't mind if they come to your church and don't come to mine. Because when they come to yours, they come into mine. It actually can be that simple because we're building the church. But what we need to realize is that each one of us, oh, you, you, you can't start clapping because I've got eight points. All right, because I've got things to say and you're interrupting me. Okay. You've got to realize that you've got to see what your senior leader sees. So if God's sovereign plan is that you would be under a senior leader, then why would he show you something different to your senior leader? I mean, he's not a God of confusion. I got confused tonight. I got confused tonight because I got a Peter Rainbow hug from Mark Gerber. That was confusing. That was very confusing. I thought I'd test the waters and think if they were telling the truth. I think all of you should experience a Mark Gerber hug before you leave tonight. Trust me. Mark is the new hugger in town. By the next volunteers meeting, there'll be a new hug in town. It's the Mark Gerber new version, limited edition. Trust me. But God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity and of design. Why would he speak to your senior leader? That's why when people say to me, oh, have you got your own vision in your heart? Yeah. Yeah, it's Edge Church's vision. I've got it. It's in my heart. To serve my community with a message of hope, truth and love and to do it through the pattern that Pastor Danny gets. And you should be the same. To say, yeah, I've got my own vision in my heart. It's the vision that's in the heart of my senior leaders. Why would God give me a different vision to my senior leader? Why would he bring confusion to deconstruct his church? He said he would build his church. He brings it together. And so we need to see. I, I, uh, I've, got, I've got a passion. I, I, when, when Pastor Danny first asked me to work so closely to him and to work as his associate, I went away and started praying and saying, Pastor, God, God show me how I can serve him well. I don't, it's not brownie points. I'm not looking for brownie points. He's not even listening tonight. I'm looking to be able to honor God for the place he's placed me. And I, and I got this thought. When you do a job that a leader asks you to do, you take it out of his hand. But when you see a job that a leader sees, you take it out of his head. It's very different. Because one thing when Pastor Danny says to me, Jonathan, can you repair that hole in the wall? I can't stand that hole in the wall. Jonathan, how many times do I have to ask to repair that hole in the wall? You know what I'll do? Like every single one of us in this room, we'll organize for the hole to be repaired. And what we've done is we've taken that out of his hand. But when I start seeing the hole in the wall, when I start seeing the soap dispenser that's not sitting on top of the proper place, now I start seeing what my senior leader sees. Now I'm starting to take it out of his head, not just out of his hand. Because all of a sudden he says, oh, when Jonathan's there, I know he sees what I see. Like the school of the prophets saw what Elisha could see. Oh, he sees what I see. I'm cool. When Jonathan's in the building, I'm cool because I know he sees the mark on the wall. I know he sees the person who's not being followed up. I know he notices the person in the foyer that nobody has spoken to yet and they're a new person in the church. We need to take care of them. I know he sees that because he sees what I see. I know he notices when the sound is not quite right or when the sound is right. Uh, I, I know he sees when the chairs aren't quite straight. I know he sees when the youth uh, are doing something and they need to change the way they're doing something. I know he sees what I see. I know he sees it. So now I'm starting to do those things. Please, it's not about initiating things without permission, because I'll talk to you about it in a moment. But it's actually about starting to see what your senior leader sees. It's so critical that we see what they see. The school of the prophets had focus. They were singular in their focus. This is the vision we're called to build. 
and their focus led them to two things. This is all under point one. We got a long night coming. I had breakfast this on in the cafe. They had, they had a vision for expansion and a vision for ownership. Their focus caused them to want to expand. As you see, the place where we meet with you is too small. They had a vision for expansion. You know it's God's plan to have expansion? Abraham, descendants. David, take ground. Solomon, build great. Israelites, take the promised land. In, uh, in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtain of your habitations. Don't spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations, make the desolate cities inhabited. When Jesus speaks about his kingdom in Matthew 13, 31, here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. I bet you three years ago this looked like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. It's expansion at every level. God speaks expansion. Matthew speaks about, therefore, go into all nations, making disciples of all nations. You know, if we fulfill the Great Commission, you know what happens? All nations get reached. I know you go, wow, this guy came from the other side of town to tell us something so profound. But if we reach all nations, what happens? We expand. And these guys had got such a focus that their focus caused them to want expansion. The second thing that they saw in their focus was the desire for ownership. Listen to the language that they use in in verse 1. One day the group of the prophets, they came to Elisha and told him, They came to Elisha and told him, imagine us going to Tony and Kath and going, Tony and Kath, you know what? You spoke about our car park. Tony and Kath, you know, you spoke about that program. Tony and Kath, I know you've got a cafe in your heart. Tony and Kath, I know you want that kids. And by the way, that kids facility, I'm so jealous. That indoor kids playground. I'm not jealous of the work it took to put it together, but I'm jealous. Tony and Kath, this is what you want. Tony, I heard you say that on Sunday. And this is what I believe God has shown me, that how I can help build that. They had a lang- Let each one of us go down. Listen to the language. As you can see, the place where we, not where you have a church, but where we meet with you is too small. Let us go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. And when they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. Listen to the language, us and we. I can tell a lot about the culture in an environment, whether it's church or business, about the language in people's mouths. I often find myself just adjusting new people to our church. Well, what you guys are doing in the community, and I pause right there, what we're doing in the community. You might not have been on the project, but that's okay. It's what we're doing. Well, what you guys done, if you've just recently, there was new people that stood up that this is their first time. I'm so thankful for new people joining a volunteers team. So thankful we need more than we can get. You come in, you go, wow, three years ago that happened, but I didn't get to be part of the journey. But it's us. That's our church. That's your church that you saw up there. It's what we built three years ago. Now, you might not have been on the construction site, but we built it. It's a language of ownership. You can tell when someone owns something by their language. Did you notice that I said, this is my church? Because I own Victory Church in my heart. I don't own it on paper. I don't have a title that says Jonathan Fontanarosa owns Victory Church. I own it in my heart. So when I'm praying for the churches in our city, I don't say bless that church. I say bless our church. Out in the northern suburbs, bless that church. right? Because it's us, it's we. Let me give you the difference between a church that's fellowship driven and a church that's ownership driven. Is that okay? 
If you knew me well, many of you don't. I am very pastoral. I'm driven by people. I love being with people. When Pastor Danny asked me to join the pastoral team and the pastoral care, I thought I was like a pig in mud. I loved it. Visiting people in hospital and kissing babies and doing wonderful visitation. I loved it. I love being with people. I love hanging around. I love fellowship. I love the, set. I love the idea of the cafe. I love that. We do meals after every meeting at our, at our city campus because I love gathering people and hanging out with people and being with people. It's my natural bent, right? Um, but it's got to go beyond fellowship to ownership. Let me show you the difference slightly. Just give you some of the words. Fellowship is all about now. As long as it meets my needs right now. A fellowship church is all about meeting my needs right now. As long as it's comfortable for me, as long as the car park's right, as long as the service time is right, as long as it's good for my children, as long as it's good for me, as long as it's good for the time that I want. As a matter of fact, you know what? I want you to put programs on for me, uh, but I don't, I'm not promising that I'm going to actually show up to them all. I'd just like to know that now they're available for me, just in case I felt like it and there wasn't anything decent on TV for me. Right? Fellowship church is all about now. Ownership church is about now and the future. Just begin to imagine the children that are going to come in off the community, that are not church, that are going to come in and play on that that playground and remember that this is a place where they experience joy and in the future they're actually the people on the construction site building this place till it's four or five stories and expanded right out to its left and right and we've enlarged the place of our dwelling. Right? Just begin to imagine because an ownership church doesn't just own the now, they own now and the future. An ownership church is not, a fellowship church is about me. As long as it suits me. Ever met someone like that? It's just as long as it fits for me. And ownership church is about others. You've got to get, got to get right. I'm a really simple guy. So I hope you can handle my simplicity. Right? But Jesus died on the cross. Rose again. When I didn't deserve it. And gave me eternal life. That's enough. I don't need the right carpet, the right sound, the right people, the right building. I can worship him at home. But God said he would build his church, so I can't be at home. I've got to be in his church. I've got to be with his people, right? But beyond the cross, I need nothing more. If you need something more than the cross, maybe you've missed what the cross is. Now it's about others. At the age of 14, I gave my life to Christ. I made a decision to follow Christ for the rest of my days. Why Why didn't I just die and go to heaven? If my whole purpose of getting saved was just to go to heaven, then why didn't I just die then and go to heaven? The reason I'm still on this planet today is because I've got to reach someone else with the message of the gospel. And an ownership church says, this is not about my comfort. I'll give up my seat for someone else. We had an event where we last year where we baptized 100 people on one night. We had over 700 visitors come for that night because the people brought their friends along. And we had our people giving up their seat, getting back in their cars and going home. Couldn't stay for the meeting because we didn't have enough room. That's a culture of ownership. Watching people walk out of the building going, where are you going? They said, we've got to make room for the new people. There's no more seats. We've got new people standing up. We'll go home. Just give, give us the DVD. We'll watch the DVD later on. It's not that they didn't want to be in church. It's a culture of ownership. It says, this is not about me. This is about others. A fellowship church. A fellowship church is that. See, that just cost you an extra 30 seconds. You know that, right? Fellowship church is about pleasing people and ownership church is about pleasing God. I think you're getting the picture. A fellowship church is about programs and ownership church is about purpose. A fellowship church is about the short term and ownership church is about the long term. A fellowship church is all about my comfort and my connection, but an ownership church is all about the cause of Christ and making a commitment to that and walking through crisis, establishing my convictions and walking a life of consistency. That's what an ownership people do, that when they get into conflict, they don't conflict avoid, but they conflict resolve. 
Because you, you let that thing sweep under the carpet one day in another church, you're going to trip over the same piece of carpet. Let's, let's resolve conflict. Hey, we're going to be in heaven for, I can't even say a long time because time doesn't even make sense in the context of eternity. And there's not going to be a section set aside where they say, oh, yep, Victory Church, just down the corridor over there. We're all going to be there together. So let's solve it right here, right now. And let's get on with building. Let's not the enemy bring division amongst us, but let's resolve the conflict. I don't wake up in the morning going, gee, I'd love some conflict today to resolve. Gee, I enjoy conflict. You know what I enjoy? I enjoy the fruit of conflict resolution. I enjoy the fact that now I have restored that relationship and we can get on and keep building rather than disconnecting and then finding another place where I'm going to get offended again. Pastor Danny said on Saturday to some of our church, he said, if you don't want to get offended, stop being offendable. Because if you're offendable, God will let you come around the mountain again and again and again until you solve that issue, resolve that issue, and then you can keep moving into the promises God has for you. A fellowship church is about resisting change, but an ownership church is about embracing change. I think you get the point. So the first point is this. That's first of eight. Wow, that's awesome. Um, The first point was realize that Elisha could see. The second thing is they reported the needs. The place where we meet with you is too small. You know, there's two different needs. There's needs we can solve and there's needs that we can't. They said, the place where we meet with you is too small. Let each one of us go down. We'll get some timber. We found the resource. It's one thing to have focus. It's another thing to have fuel for that focus. It's one thing to have vision. It's another thing to have provision for the vision. But that's another message. But they actually reported the needs. The place we meet with you is too small. That one we can solve. We can solve it. All we're looking for is your permission. All we're looking for is for your amen. You're okay to do this, but we can solve this issue. Then there's issues we can't solve. Like my axe head has fallen to the bottom of the river. I can't solve that one. Now I need something supernatural. We need to work out the issues that we can solve. It's okay to come with a solution. I don't need in my campus, I don't need people that come to me with the problem. I don't mind you raising a problem as long as you raise a solution with that problem. So to say, oh, the kid's sign-in process is too hard. We'll come with a solution. What makes it easy for you as a parent? What works for you as a parent? Within the boundaries of our vision, because you see what we see, come and report the needs. That's okay. Leaders aren't afraid to hear the need as long as it comes with a good solution that works with that. But if you just drop a problem in my lap, you've just dropped me with more things to fix. And you know what? I'll fix it for you and it would be a problem for someone else. We need to report the needs. And then there's issues we can't solve, which I'll talk about a bit later when the axe head fell into the river. It's, you know, it's okay not to know what to do. It's okay for me. I'm, I'm, I'm the associate to my senior leader. I should have as many answers as possible in the organization to not give weight to my pastor. I'm actually called to be a burden bearer, not a burden to him. But there's times when I say, I don't know, Pastor Danny, what to do with this. He's okay with that. When it's one of those axe head situations where I don't know, I need a supernatural, I need something to change supernaturally. That's why I brought you with me. I didn't leave you. I wanted you to come down to the Jordan with me. I needed you because if you go to 2 Kings chapter 4, a couple of chapters earlier, there was some stew with some poison in it. And the school of the prophets were there. And Elisha said, bring me some flour. He threw some flour in and all of a sudden they could eat the spew. The spew. That's what it tasted like beforehand. The soup, right? All of a sudden they could eat it. So now they know when we've got a supernatural situation and we don't have an answer for, we can go to our senior leader. They actually bring only the difficult cases to him. 
Go to Exodus 18, have a look at it. Moses in Exodus 18 got strategy from Jethro. Get captains of tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands and appoint them as leaders. They will handle most of the cases, but the difficult ones they'll bring to you. Not the menial ones, they can solve those. It's not Moses because you're too big to solve menial issues. He wanted to be there amongst the people. If we could solve every issue, we would. That's why we're leaders. But reality is, if we're going to expand and enlarge, we've got to be able to free people up to actually come with solutions. But they brought the difficult cases to him. You know, when Moses sent out the 12 spies in Numbers 13 and 14, he said, give me a truthful report. You know what? Leaders don't want an embellished report. If there's an issue in an area that you serve in, don't bring an embellished report, bring the truth. He said, I want you to go into the land, I want you to tell me, is it fruitful or is it not? What are the people like? Are they giants or are they not? Go read it, Numbers 13 and 14. And we have 12 spies that go in. Of course, two come back with faith, 10 come back without. But Moses wanted evidence of their findings, not opinions. Because leaders love the opportunity to speak faith into your situation. I think this is the thing. When you've been sent out and you're serving in a different area and you're seeing things like your senior leader sees, you don't need to give leadership to your report. You've got to give your report to leadership. Two very different things. You know the mistake that the 10 spies made? They didn't lie. They just gave an opinion to the truth. They said, oh, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Oh yeah, the lands, absolutely. Here's a cluster of grapes. Any Italian would have killed for that. And some great figs as well. So they brought the same report as the two spies, except they added their opinion to the report. That's the only mistake they made. They never lied. They just added their opinion to it. We don't need to add our opinion. We just need to report the needs, bring the needs to someone that can solve the issue. Let me show you what it looks like in church circles. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough staff. We don't have enough land. We don't have enough volunteers. We don't have enough food to feed the 5,000. Our city, our nation's too tough to change. There's too much to be done with not enough time. These may well be the facts, but great teams manage what they say to what they see. We need to be like the two spies that say, you know what, but if our God. Yeah, think about it. With this room, could we reach 1.3 million people in our city? Well, 12 men got a hold of a vision. One blew it, he got replaced. But we're now on the other side of the world in Adelaide, South Australia, down at Paraka at Victory Church. And we have the message of the gospel given to us because 12 men, 12 men got a hold of a vision and said, I reckon this is possible. I actually believe in Christ. He gave his life for me. Imagine what a room like this can do. And I'm not here to hype you up. I just believe the scriptures. I actually believe, Tony, when we do the next hundred years together in this city, And we pour our lives out to this city. We're going to see some extraordinary things. Could it be that Adelaide becomes an example to the rest of the world of what can happen when churches come together, put aside their differences, put aside their preferences and actually say, come on, let's just reach a city. Let's serve with one another. Let's not bring problems. Let's bring solutions to our city. I'm not called to pick it down. And some people might like that. I'm not called to that. To pick it down and tell the government what they can't do. The church is the answer. When you have a look in Scripture, I'm getting fired up now. I'm not angry. I just, I love the church. And we're called to bring solutions to our community, not the problems. Let's speak faith. And some of the needs in our city cannot be solved without God. And it needs the church to rise up. Anyway, the third thing is this. They requested permission. They said, let us get things ticked off. 
offer the solution and get protection through covering. I can't understand why so many people have this issue with covering and being undercovering. I love being undercovering. It's safe. If I bring a solution to my senior leader and he says, yes, do that. Great. I'm safe now because he made the call. If I bring a solution to my senior leader that I think is a fantastic solution and he says no, great, I'm safe because he made the call. The Bible says that he will actually give account for the way that he has led, just like I will give account for the people that I have led. And it's safe undercovering. It's, it's when people struggle with authority. I love the school of the prophets. They said, hey, Elisha, the place where we meet with you is too small. We can see what you see. We, we can see that there's a need here. We're reporting the need. But you know what? We also want your permission to go and do this. Because we realize and understand the line of authority. They got things ticked off. The fourth thing is this. They recognize the season. In First Chronicles 12.32, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. It's one thing to know what to do, and it's another thing to know when to do it. We've got to realize the urgency of the time. You, you know that um, we're in a global financial crisis. You know that we're in a situation now where the world is in despair, and this is the time where the church rises. You know when the, when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan? was when the banks were overflowing. Have you ever noticed it's always the worst time when God asks you to do something? He asks you to give when, when bills are coming in at a, at, a, at a rapid rate. He asks you to serve when your boss has asked you to work more hours. It's always at the worst possible time because God keeps us in a place of dependence and faith, like I said right at the outset. And there are people that recognize the season. Listen and look for bigger picture statements and own them. That's what I do as a team member. I sit in your seat and I hear my senior pastor speak at these events at our church. And I sit there and, I, and, I, and I'm frantically taking notes. Because I'm going, we don't have volunteers for that. We don't have enough resource for that. How are we possibly going to do that? Right now, in a time of a global financial crisis, we've been offered a building in Melbourne for our Melbourne campus. We've been offered a building in Bristol. Oh, thank you so much. See, you saw the bigger picture need. I feel like the queen. In the midst of all of this, our Melbourne building, our Bristol building in the UK, down south right next door, we've been praying for years for that building. And when does it come up? Global financial crisis. All three of them for sale at the same time. And next week, we will be meeting in Sydney with the owners of our city building, who potentially want us not only to sell us the building in our city, but also another building in Melbourne. All at the worst possible time, right? Because we stay in a place of dependence. Jesus decides he's going to feed 5,000 when nobody's got food except for five loaves and two fish. Why? Because he wants us to experience the miracle. And the enemy wants us to see the facts. And God wants us to live in faith. And see, hey, and when everything's banked up against us, this is the time to move. And to actually recognize the season that God has put us in. The fifth thing is that we're released to work. Elisha says, go for it. I love that. Pastor Danny often shares from Genesis 22 when Abraham's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. And when he's about to head up the mountain, he's about to leave his servants behind and head up the mountain, he takes the timber and he puts it on Isaac's shoulders. I mean, if you were going to kill your son, at least carry the timber yourself. <laughs> Think about it. 
not only am I about to do something to you, but I'm going to ask you to take the weight. You know what I love about what we celebrated just before? We celebrated a couple of people that take the weight. We celebrated hundreds of people that could catch a tennis ball, that can, ca- that can take the weight. This is a room that takes weight. But I often ask myself the question, would I rather carry the timber or the burden? Because I'm a father of two children. We went for six and a half years not being able to have children. I've got two miracle girls. And if I was asked to sacrifice them, I wonder which I'd rather carry. Would I rather carry timber or the burden of knowing what I'm about to do? And I don't know what the burden a senior leader carries because I'm not a senior leader. I'm not even the senior leader of our city campus, Pastor Danny is. I'm just an under-shepherd. And I say that with absolute joy and privilege. But I carry the timber week in, week out because I can't begin to imagine the weight he carries of responsibility knowing he's going to stand before God for the vision that God has entrusted to him. When you hear a senior leader going, come on, let's drive forward, let's enlarge, let's expand, it's because they've heard from God. They don't need to enlarge and expand. They can get really comfortable right now. But there's a burden that a senior leader carries. I'd much rather carry the timber if I wasn't called to carry the burden. And we need to be released to work. Let's not carry a culture. We just had to address this. We had new people join our church, come out to a community project. We're an open book. We tell you everything. This is what our church is like. We had new people join our church, as, as this church has all the time as well. And they came out to our community project. We just finished a renovation at the Adelaide Women's Prison. Pastor Danny and I go out on the first Saturday to encourage the volunteers. We're in the middle of sermon preparation. We're in the middle of trying to work out what we're going to do with our six campuses. We're in the middle of, we're, not have, we're, we're probably at least five or six key staff short at the moment and our staff are stretched. Our finances are right to the dollar. It's hand to mouth at the moment as we, we continue to trust God week in, week out. It, people can look from the outside and think it's all going fine. There's a lot of work. I didn't realize when I, when I was called to be a pastor that I had to be a financial manager, a business entrepreneur and a, and a human resource manager, an occupational health and safety officer. I didn't even know half that stuff. And we're carrying all of this with our staff and crisis and marriages and issues that are in the church, carrying all of this and trying to get a message ready because we believe that we don't come and bring a message. We come and bring the word of the Lord because people are broken and hurting and needy. And if I miss it, I could miss the opportunity for their breakthrough. We're praying into our message. And I said to Pastor, I'm going to head down to the project. I just want to go out and say, he said, no, come pick me up. We'll go together. So we went together in the middle of our preparation, left our preparation, said we can prepare late at night. We'll go out there. We go out there on site. We had new people from our church. And this is what they started saying. One guy walked up to me, handed me an axe. Like he was trying to say, get to work. Another person said to me, oh, nice shoes. Very inappropriate for a day like today. Someone else answered and said, yeah, probably too appropriate so he doesn't have to work. Those people aren't up late at night. Those people don't carry a burden 24-7. Those people don't wake up worried about marriages when those people in their marriages aren't even worried about their own marriage. Those people aren't carrying children in their heart that they're concerned about. And we need to realise that the senior leader has a place that they have to play. Does, I lo- I'd love to get on the axe. I'd love to get on a spade and not carry the weight of responsibility I carry. I'd love to do that. But I'm called to do what I'm called to do and others are called to do what they're called to do so that we can each achieve what we're called to achieve. And sometimes the world is smarter than the church because the world gets it. They wouldn't hand an axe to a CEO because you know what the CEO would do? They'd use the axe. Now, I'd love to get out and paint. And on some of the community projects, I've got out and painted. 
But we need to understand the difference between burden and timber and understand we're released to go. There are things that I say to my senior pastor, you don't need to do that anymore. That's my responsibility. I cover that for you. Why? Because I'd rather him away praying and seeking God and going through the scriptures so that he can drive our vision forward spiritually. Because the more he's on an axe, the less he's on his knees. Is that okay? I feel like I can be open. Is that all right? The sixth thing is they respected covering. They said, please come with us. I love that. We'll go, we'll do the work, but we need you to come and cover us. They were open to correction because correction brings improvement. You know, when we speak to our children, I'm going to, oh man, I've gone a few minutes over because you guys just laugh too much. I'll be really quick. Is that okay? Tony, can I have five minutes? You know what five minutes in a preacher's terms is, isn't it? I've got three conclusions to go. When we speak to our children, we tell them it's for their own good. You just got to respect mum and dad because it's for your own good. Until we come into church under a leader. I actually understand. Now I've become a father. Steve Hilda, one of the guys on our team who's, who's been here for a men's breakfast recently, he said to me, when, once you become a father, all your, all your illustrations are to do with children. I'm the expert father now. I actually start to realise that when I was growing up, I was the expert child. <laughs> and I don't want to be an expert child as an under-shepherd. I actually invite correction. I go to my senior, I go to my senior leader and I say, Pastor Danny, you know that I'm not getting everything right because I'm not Jesus. And so is there anything? Why? Not because I like being smashed. Nobody likes correction. Come on. But what I like is the fruit of correction. And because I want to build his kingdom, and because I want to grow, and because I want to be the best I can possibly be, I actually invite correction and I say, keep an eye on me. Keep an eye on me. You know why? Because I don't want to make this mistake for 20 years. Fix it in the first 20 minutes so I don't have to waste time. Let's get on and build this thing. Because the place where we meet with you is getting too small. Let's keep expanding. The seventh thing, and this is the bit I love, they responded to revelation. Think about this for a moment. Because the Bible aren't, uh, aren't fables. They actually happened, right? The stories in the Bible, they actually happened. We read them sometimes like they're fables, like they're on a felt board in a children's ministry. You know what I mean? An axe head fell to the bottom of the river. So Elisha did what's obvious, right? He took a stick. He took the very resource they needed to build. And he chucked a stick at it. I did a whole message on Sunday called Chuck a Stick at It. Totally different to this, but you're different people, so that's what you're getting. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? If there's an axe head at the bottom of the river, you just throw a stick in the water. And the thing that's going to float is the axe head. I knew that you guys are clever people. Sometimes senior leaders will get a revelation and it doesn't make sense. But that's because God's got to keep us in a place of faith and dependence. Yeah, surely you looked at that building and you saw this? You saw this? You're prepared to be here till the day you die because you, you got that vision in your heart? That doesn't make sense. And great teams respond to revelation. When my senior pastor started talking about doing community projects, if someone can come back on the keys, because that would just make me feel like I'm finishing. That would be great. When my senior pastor got a revelation to do community projects, I just said, done. I'm the least handyman you'll ever meet in your life. We're about to renovate a high school with no money and do a $350,000 renovation. 
And I don't even know how to hold a hammer. Well, I do. I know where the handle is, but I don't know how to use it. (laughs) Now I'm going to coordinate 650 volunteers on one day to renovate a whole high school. Because, of course, I've done that before, right? But I said, done. You know why? Because I said, Pastor Danny often says this, risks that flow from revelation, God will always reward with results. There's a a few R's there, right there. Risks that flow from revelation, God will always reward with results. And sometimes senior leaders chuck a stick at it. And you know what, Tony, when you got up here before... I showed my guys deliberately. I sat down, I wrote something down, and as I finished, I handed the pen back to Steph, and I put my folder away. And you got up here and you said, you know, when I want to expand the vision, and sometimes I'm driving this forward, you need to understand. This is what I had written down. To Tony and Kath, don't be afraid to chuck a stick at it, because God is raising a people with a yes and amen around you. And you know what it is? It's the reaping for your sowing. Because there was days where you responded to God and he said, go do this. And you go, God, that's chucking a stick at it. I've got no idea how this is going to work, but I'm in. And God is about to bring, he's already got people around you. You've got an amazing army of people around you. But God is raising up a yes and amen in the people that are in this house that you need to feel free to chuck a stick at it. You need to feel free to spend that time. You need to be freed up to spend that time hearing from God. Saying, church, this is what God said. And there's going to be a resounding yes and amen in the people because they realize this is revelation. The beauty of when a people do that, and I've already got to point eight. I know you're impressed. They reap the rewards. You know why? Because everybody wins. And the house gets built. Someone decided that you were worth the expansion. Someone decided that sitting back and doing nothing wasn't going to be enough when it came to you. Someone decided when it came to Jonathan that it was worth me pouring my life out to see Jonathan transformed. I thank God for that someone. And there are going to be a lot of people in the northern suburbs of Adelaide and right across this city that are going to say, thank God for a people that got a hold of a vision. They could see what their Elisha could see. They responded to the revelation. They reported needs. They did all the things that the school of the prophets did. They started to see what their senior leader could see. And rather than just do a job, they started seeing the jobs. They started to own a vision. They started to pray early in the morning and late at night saying, God, come on, enlarge us. God, show us what's next. God, in my area, on a sound desk, on a worship team, on a, on a presentation team, on a cleaning team, on a, on a kids team, on a youth team. God, I want to see what my senior leader sees and I want to expand this vision. And thank God for someone who gets a hold of a vision and actually says, oh, I want to see it expanded. You know why? Because there's people in our community that you would be thinking of right now. Just think about right now, that one friend, that one family member, that husband, that wife, that child was to be blessed just because of your expansive heart. That you had a culture of yes. Said, I'm going to get a hold of one vision. I'm going to get the same focus. I'm going to bring my fuel. And we're actually going to see our faith activated to see this thing totally transformed. What I'd love to do is I'd love to pray for you. Because like I said right at the outset, I love teams. I love team. And I'd love to pray for you. That the same revelation God gave me of team would come upon you. You're saying, Jonathan, I hear what you're saying. I want to be one of those champions. I want to be one of those school of the prophets. I want to be one of those ones that say yes 
and amen. I want to get on with what God has called us to get on with. I want to get past my disappointments or my frustrations or my limitations. And I want to give you everything I've got. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes because we're a team. If you're saying, I want to be part of that team. And I want, Jonathan, I want you to pray for me. I want you to stand your feet right now because I want to pray for that to come upon you. That's an outstanding response. Just put your hands out in front of you as a way of receiving. Just, just out in front of you. Just say, I, I want to pray that God will impart something to you. And that you would see what your senior leader sees. There would be such an army in this place. I pray that this moment would be a telling moment in the history of this church. That we would look back to the third year on our third birthday. And we would say, God, thank you for what you've done. Just close your eyes right across this place. Keep your hands out stretched in front of you. Father, I pray for every single person, young and old. Those who have been in the faith for many years and those who are brand new to this faith. Father, I thank you that you are a God of design. I thank you that you are a God of purpose. I thank you that you have something planned. And you as the chief cornerstone are building your house with living stones. I thank you, Father, that you are forming in people right now. Dreams and desires that are not separate to this vision, but totally aligned with where this vision is going. God, I thank you for Tony and Kath. I thank you, Father, for a man and a woman that are committed to a city, that are committed to a call, that are committed to a church, that are committed to reaching people. God, I thank you for them. And Father, I pray that they would be surrounded with an army of people that have a yes and an amen in their heart. That there would be like a Mary and an Elizabeth, a leaping in the womb. That as Tony and Kath share vision, vision and cast vision, I pray that it would be caught. And there would be not only an amen, but an activation of faith, Father. Lord, that as they chuck a stick at it, as they begin to declare revelation words from you, as they begin to cast out and enlarge the place of their dwelling, Father, I pray that there would be an army of people that wouldn't be a burden to them, but would bear the burden with them. Father, I thank you for great teams. I thank you for great volunteers. I thank you for an army of people right across every ministry area from children all the way through, Father, that are celebrated like they've been celebrated tonight. And may this room double and triple over with people who get a hold of a vision. And Father, I pray with arms outstretched that you would give us faith, eyes to see, ears to hear, Words that speak a, word, a language of ownership and of growth and enlargement. Feet that would be prepared to go and hands that would be prepared to work. And Father, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May you build what you intended to build and may this be a landmark moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.